Hi, this is Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries, and this is a special bonus episode. I recently received the privilege of jumping on the Institute for Cultural Reformation from the Ezra Institute with Dr. Joseph Boot. I had the privilege of being invited on their show to talk about the Fifth Commandment. They're currently doing a series through the Ten Commandments. I was invited on to speak in regards to the Fifth Commandment, uh, that children are commanded by God to honor thy father and mother. And it happens to be the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with them and that they would live a long life in the land that they're inheriting. Tune in to this special episode from the Ezra Institute, the Institute for Cultural Reformation, where I get to be a guest with the host being Dr. Joseph Boot. Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris. With me, as always, is Dr. Joe Boot. And with us, for the first time on this show, we're very privileged to have a special guest, uh, Pastor Joel Webin. And Joel is president and founder of Right Response Ministries, senior pastor of Covenant Bible Church, located on the north side of Austin, Texas. Joel's married to Megan, and he's the father of Olive, Ruth, and Eleanor. And Joel, and we're uh, Franklin now. And Franklin. And oh, I'm Franklin. Uh, I'm, we have a we have a fourth. I have a oh. son. The name will continue on, Lord willing. <laughs> Many congratulations. congratulations. I'm dealing Thank with uh, out of date information here. Sorry about that. Um, well, it, it quickly goes out of date uh, because my wife and I, uh, we are having lots of children quickly. <laughs> so I don't blame you. Praise God. Yeah, amen. Well, I'm glad uh, glad you could uh, be with us for uh, for this conversation. Our subject today, our subject today is going to be uh, the fifth commandment, and I'll uh, I'll read that out, and we will deal with uh, with some of the the details and implications and applications of uh, where that fits in context and how it uh, how it works itself out. Uh, in, a, in our daily life here. So this is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, where we read, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And Joel, I just, I wanted to, uh, to start with you here. Uh, when we were, uh, when we were corresponding, we were touching base on, uh, on setting up to have you on the show we were look, looking ahead. There were several several of the commandments that we could have chosen from, and you got back to me and said, "I'd like to do the fifth commandment." Uh, maybe we'll just start with what uh, what is it that that drew you to uh, to this particular one? Great question. Yeah, part of what drew me to it is I think my own personal repentance in this area. Um, hmm. I, you know, I, I did my undergrad in Dallas, Texas. I was born and raised in Bay City, Texas. It's a small town on the Gulf Coast in between Galveston and Corpus Christi. Uh, went off to school. And when I finished school, I just had this burning desire, woe am I if I don't plant a church, which really, to be completely honest, was um, I had a strong desire to preach. Uh, and I do believe that that came from the Lord and is a desire. I, I had that a noble desire um, to to be an elder, uh, but I don't think that I was ready. And I think that I at least subconsciously knew that. 
But there was this really nifty category that was becoming increasingly popular at the time. This is around 2007, 8, 9, uh, called church planting. And with church planting, you could be a pastor before you were qualified. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I opted towards, you know, knowing that uh, I was a 23-year-old single man and that it was highly unlikely that I was going to get a letter in the mail of, you know, some congregation calling me to be their senior pastor. Um, so I thought, well, I'll start one. And, uh, and again, I think by the grace of God, there were a lot of noble desires and right instincts. Um, there was plenty of, by the grace of God, again, purity, but there were also... Um, plenty of of sinful desires and at, at bare minimum at least immature um, and incomplete and and foolish ambitions and so I went off to plant a church and it was kind of this rite of passage I thought you know that um, you know if if you're if you're going to do something significant for the Lord it needs to be ministry right I I wouldn't have known these things at the time but like two fish swimming. Um, in the ocean, passing by each other, and one saying, uh, the water sure is nice today. And the other says, what is water? Um, I, I was two kingdom by default. I was premillennial, dispensational, um, these things by default. And so for me, I, I did not have a proper understanding of the kingdom of God um, expressed beyond simply the four walls of the church institute, as as Dr. Boot has so well expressed. I So I thought if, if I'm going to advance the kingdom of God, it has to be within the ecclesiastical sphere. And uh, so I, it must be pastoral ministry. And so I desired to be a pastor. And if I want to do something significant, uh, like being a pastor, uh, I could be even more significant by being a church planter, not just pastoring the church, but starting one. And if I want to be even greater, um, then I could start a church in a perhaps a more difficult context. So I opted for California. And so I moved away, to answer your question, from my mother and father. Um, and I went to California, not saying that, that a child can't geographically, you know, a grown adult child move away from their parents. Um, but I, I, I think I had not, not outspokenly, but at least a subtle aversion and, and despising um, Texas and, and fly over America. I, you know, I, I bought into some of the rhetoric of the sophisticated cool kids table within evangelicalism and church planting at the time that, you know, if inner center city ministry is all the rage and, you know, rural areas is really kind of a, a subtle compromise. And, and so I, I, I just, I bought into all of that. And as I got older, by the end of 2020, um, it really before COVID hit and those kinds of things, I was already beginning to think eventually um, I should move back to Texas. My wife's parents were in Texas. My parents were in Texas. So we had both sides of mothers and fathers uh, in Texas and thinking we're now having children. We, we want them um, to, to have uh, regular engagement uh, with their grandparents. And I was thinking about my children, I was thinking, one day my children are going to grow up. Uh, number one, are they going to be able to make a living and 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 start a household in in California? Not just it's already hard right now, but twenty years from now, what will that be? Um, is this decision ultimately going to set the stage for the the displacement of my own family? And then, what example am I setting? I'm showing my children that honoring thy father and mother means inviting them into our lives a couple times a, a year for a few days at a time. Uh, to play with the grandkids, um, but I thought, what what kind of example would it would it would it demonstrate for my own children, um, for me as a grown child to honor my father and mother, um, 
to the extent of saying, I, I, I want to physically move and, and reorient uh, my life and the life of my children to where you're an active part of it and position ourselves financially to where when our, our, our mothers and fathers, my wife and mine, uh, begin to age where we could financially accommodate them, where we wouldn't just have to send them off to a home, but we could bring them into ours. Um, so all that being said, I, I think that this commandment appeals to me because of my personal failure in this area, by God's grace, personal repentance, and just a recognition that um, that the the young child under his father's roof is called to obedience, full obedience to his mother and father. Um, but but coming to see that the commandment, not merely to obey, but to honor the father and mother, is actually a lifelong commandment that applies to grown children outside of the home um, in recognizing uh, that I need to do better in that. Joel, I really appreciate that uh, that testimony. Uh, one thing that I wanted to uh, to open up to uh, to both of you for comment, and maybe I'll uh, I'll press on with you, Joel. Here is that uh, it's r- readers of scripture. It's a, a common uh, designation or observation that uh, there are in the Ten Commandments, two tables. There's a distinction between commandments as far as relationship to God, which is the first four, and then the, the uh, latter six are commandments with relation concerning relationships between people. Uh, and I, I can't help but observe that uh, th- there is a parallel between the fifth commandment and the first commandment, the, uh, or the first mm. commandments of either table. Uh, insofar as there are certain persons uh, who are owed specific treatment, specific uh, responses and uh, relations. And I guess the, uh, the question in all of that is just, can you, can you comment further on that, on why that might be? Of course, it's deliberate in Scripture. Nothing is accidental or superfluous. But what... Uh, what accounts for that structure and what, what might be some, some uh, significance or implication of it? That's a great question. Um, within the second table of the law, so beginning with commandment number five, um, it's also worth noting that that's that the only commandment out of the six, the latter six of the Ten Commandments, that's stated in the positive sense. Right, Starting with commandment six through ten, um, you have prohibitions. Thou shalt not murder. Uh, thou shalt not... Um, commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Um, But the fifth commandment is the first of the second table of law in relation to our love for neighbor. Uh, It's also the only uh, commandment towards neighbor stated in the positive sense, not just something that you should avoid, but something that you should actively commit yourself to doing, Uh, not just um, thou shalt not dishonor or thou shalt not, you know, not blaspheme, but um, uh, profane thy, thy father and mother, but uh, thou, thou shalt honor thy father and mother. So that's unique. Um, and it's also the first commandment, which I know we'll get to you know uh, later on in this episode with a promise. And so it's unique in, in all those senses. It's the first of the second table of the law. It's the only in the second table of the law stated in the positive sense. And it's the only one um, that's explicitly, um, I believe there's a promise for all obedience, um, but ex- where the promise is explicitly stated and not only a, a heavenly promise and eternal promise, but a temporal and earthly promise as well. Um, and you're right. Uh, the last thing to, to note is that there does seem to be a, a stark um, comparison and correlation between the first commandment and the second table 
and the first commandment in the first table. Um, so the, the first commandment that we find out of the 10 in our relation to, to God is that we should have no other gods before him. Um, even then, still kind of uh, stated in that negative sense of a prohibition, something to avoid, uh, namely idolatry. Um, but but again, uh, it's it's you know, if we were to reverse it and state it in the positive sense, it would be um, fidelity, loyalty, allegiance, and wholehearted worship um, and love of the triune God. Um, no other idols, no other gods, um, no devotion. Uh, to anyone else, no compromise, no divided allegiance, um, but honoring the Father of all, um, honoring the Heavenly Father, uh, the Father of lights from whom every good and perfect gift comes down. And then we find the fifth commandment, to honor thy father and mother. And I, I think that that's, in a sense, I, I think that the reason why everything seems to begin with that, um, our relationship to the Heavenly Father and then our biological, um, familial fathers, uh, is because that's the first relationship that we have. Um, that, in a very real sense, I mean, my children are small, five, three, two, and five months. And um, they're, they're, <laughs> their best friends um, are mom and dad and each other. They, they don't have much of a social network outside of uh, our family of six. Um, the vast majority of their time is spent in the home. Uh, the vast majority of their affections are oriented towards myself and their mother. And I think that, um, you know, Augustine argued for um, uh, properly ordering our loves, our affections, um, that, that it's, it's not just love everyone, um, but, but love has, you know, circles, like ripples in a pond that, that build outwardly. And we start, uh, we start with what's most near and most dear. We, there's an order of priorities uh, that, that so much of sin is a misordered affections, that I love something more than I should or something less than I should. Um, so much of anger is, uh, at least sinful anger, is is a relationship with you know that that I you know I love myself more than others, and so I'm I'm more deeply offended than I should be. And so, beginning with this this order, this hierarchy of loves, we're, we're called to love God, the Heavenly Father first, um, but then as it relates to loving our neighbor, we, we have 8.2 billion neighbors. And what I've noticed, especially with younger people, millennials and Gen Z. Um, they they love love in theory, um, but but they seem to really struggle in practice. So they they love the children in Uganda. They love Ukraine. Uh, they love this. They love that. Um, but they can't share the refrigerator uh, with their college roommate. Um, you know, so they they love everyone until they meet someone. They, ironically, the only people they they love eight billion people. They really only don't love thirty, but the thirty that they don't love are the only thirty people that they've ever had close relationship with. <laughs> Which should you know you would think that they would naturally conclude that actually they're not good at love, and that this theoretical love for all these strangers out there um, actually isn't love at all. Because whenever it's put to a test, um, it's quickly proven to be false. And so all that being said. Uh, it's such a, a, a close relationship. Honor thy father and mother. These are the first people that you come to know. You're in their home. You're at their table. You're, you're nursing from your mother's breast. You're under your father's tutelage. These are, and, and if you can't love the first people that you, you literally meet in life, the, the two first people that you meet in your life when your eyes open and you breathe your first breath and come into the world, um, then it's just it's fallacious and absurd to think that you would be able to love any other neighbor. Uh, if you can't love the first two neighbors that you meet. I appreciate that. Thank you. 
uh, it's uh, I noticed the same thing that uh, this is the the first and only of the positive uh, commandments in the second table, and it's also uh, in some in some ways it's the most demanding, uh, whereas the others are universal prohibitions. You know, do not uh, do not murder. Full stop. Do not murder anybody. Right. That's fairly easy to do. We're all just sitting here not murdering. But uh, right. <laughs> we have to. Uh, we, there's some. There's a. There's something that is enjoined to us. Something that is required of us in terms of demonstrating and uh, showing that uh, that honor that's uh, that we're called on to show. Joe, do you do you have any uh, any follow up on? Uh, on that question, yeah, that was a, a helpful and a, and a comprehensive answer. What occurred to me while while Joel was speaking is that the, in some respects, this commandment, the fifth commandment, feels like a transitional commandment that has a foot on both tables, because the the your parents, your father and your mother, are the source of your life in the human sense. So we we're required to honor God as the creator as and, and worship him as creator and king. And of course, in Christ as redeemer as well. Um, but there is a sense in which you know, the the image bearing nature of of human beings and especially male and female made in the image of God, the establishment of the family. We do have the the, the holy family, father, son and holy spirit. And the so God's covenantal revelation of himself is in familial terms. And so when we honor our parents, we are actually honoring God. That's how um, significant this is. Then in a certain respect, as Joel was saying, you know, when our children are young, um, especially, we represent God to them. We represent mm -hmm. the fatherhood of God to them. Uh, we we represent the nurturing aspects of God, the mother, the mothering character of God. Also, as, as Jesus said, as a, as a hen gathers her chicks beneath its wings. So there is because male and female are made in the image of God. So parents are imaging God to their children and in the temporal sense are the source of our life. And so God regards the dishonoring of parents um, extremely seriously, uh, and as as an as very much an offence against God. That's why there's this promise of life. There's blessing, such a direct blessing and cursing attached to it. And um, Jesus in Mark seven, and perhaps we'll come to this later, um, takes it so seriously that he 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 uh, really rebukes the Pharisees for saying, "Well, I brought you know." these gifts to God, therefore I don't have any obligation towards honoring my parents. He says, you, you make void the law of God by your tradition. And he talks about, um, uh, of course, the cursing of, of parents. You know, there's a, there's a, the, the older covenant takes so seriously the dishonoring of parents, the abuse of parents that it actually carried the death penalty. So there is a there is a great seriousness attached to this. And, it, and you, when you read this fifth commandment, you feel like there's a foot on either uh, table of the of the law here. It's this transitional um, uh, command because we really do, as parents, in the early lives of our children, really represent God 
uh, to them. So there's, of course, an obligation on parents there too. focus of this command is the obligation of, of children uh, towards their towards their parents. But it's certainly one of the reasons why Karl Marx understood. He says the secret to the holy family is the earthly family. And uh, to destroy the former, you must destroy the latter in theory and in practice. So he was convinced, Marx and Engels were convinced, if you destroy the earthly family, you can get rid of God. So if we can get rid of honoring parents in our society, we we create an atheistic, irreligious, blasphemous society. Right. With one thing that I want to add with what Joe mentioned in terms of um, a breach of the fifth commandment carrying with it the penalty of capital punishment. Um, that's another, would I, I would cite as another biblical example to support the point that um, although obedience, full, practical, in every regard, obedience, children obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord, Colossians 3.20. Although full obedience is, I, I believe, a temporary command for young children under their father's roof, um, the commandment, the fifth commandment, to honor thy father and mother, I really do see as being a lifelong commandment uh, that the grown child who has now established his own household is still called to honor his father and mother. And one of the proof texts for that would be what uh, what Joe mentioned in terms of um, dishonoring the father and mother, carrying with it the penalty of capital punishment, because what's mentioned in that particular text is uh, this is not, uh, the descriptive terms is not um, a, a you know, indicative of a five-year-old child dishonoring his parents with a with a temper tantrum. Um, it mentions drunkenness, right? So I don't think it's mentioned. I don't think it has in view the five-year-old child uh, throwing a fit. Um, it has in view a grown adult child who likely has left his father's home and has now started his own household. Um, but he's he's a deadbeat. He's a he's a public drunk. He's um, and and he's and he's bringing shame upon his father and mother, um, and that he's the one that's described as being worthy of the death penalty. Which means, as Joe used that text, it means that the commandment to honor the father and mother is um, incredibly serious because it it carries such weighty penalties. But in addition to its seriousness, um, it also shows the longevity of the application of that command that that it doesn't cease uh, simply because you've uh, grown up. Right, absolutely. I think, uh, and the it's interesting the uh, the New Testament the Greek word for this uh, this word uh, translated honor is tameo, and that's where we get uh, our English word uh, to esteem, or in uh, to assess something in your estimation, and it's uh, I think it probably carries a, gets at the sense or has has space for that that sense that. Adult children are also to rightly esteem their parents, and that, as you say, Joel, that looks different when you're five years old as opposed to when you're forty-five years old. But uh, but it's the same the same principle. Um, mm. I wanted uh, I wanted to spend some a bit more time before we dive into that. I just wanted to follow up uh, on the the question of children specifically uh, and. Uh, a sense of uh, younger children, I think, is implied in the text. Uh, the text in Ephesians six, where it uh, it recapitulates this uh, this commandment. So this is Ephesians six one and two, where uh, Paul says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, 
which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And this uh, this is, we're obviously meant to hear uh, the Ten Commandments and Exodus 20 ringing in our ears, but there's also a, uh, a modification of that commandment. And Joe, I know that... Uh, you, you've spoken about this several times and uh, written about it in other contexts, but uh, so maybe I'll I'll get you to uh, to lead off here uh, how that how that commandment is uh, is modified from the uh, the first instance to uh, to its application here in the New Testament. Well, first there in Ephesians, Paul, as Joel says there um, rightly, there is a um, there's a there's a more detailed description of what. Uh, is in mind for children and the the obligation of of children to honor their parents and the reason given for that is not um simply some sociological reason or some cultural reason but because god says for this is right this is right uh it is what god requires it it's what god commands that that children are obedient to their parents and we're living in a an age of radical rebellion against parents, uh, of, of radical disobedience. And of course, that is encouraged by a secularizing and repaganizing Western culture um, that, uh, that parents are set aside, they are an object of ridicule. You only have to look at um, m- many of the sitcoms that are so popular today and the way the family is portrayed to see in particular um, fathers are the object of ridicule, um, and uh, and and children, you know, the 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 rebel teenager. I mean, don't forget that even terms like teenager were invented by sociologists in the twentieth century to encourage uh, and and you know parents are led to expect. It's almost a norm now that you are led to expect that your teenagers will be defiant and rebellious, and um, this will be that this is normal. This is even good. Um, and uh, the state and its education system loves to encourage that and to drive a wedge between parents and children. But Paul there, first of all, enjoins obedience upon children. And I think Joel is right in saying that that's talking about the younger child uh, that is living under their parents' roof, um, that has not reach, uh, reached an, uh, an age of um, independence and responsibility. Uh, that's where obedience is required. But the other um, change there that we don't see in Exodus 20, and this is a more subtle modification, is the, and it's very interesting that it's it's still there. And this is an especial, uh, especially of note for the more two kingdoms type people uh, and the tendency that we have to think of the commandments purely in negative terms, that they are just a few prohibitions that uh, the God, things that God doesn't want us to do. Now, there's always a positive connotation to all of the commands, and this one is stated in crystal clear terms, that it may go well with you and you live long in the earth. Now, of course, in Exodus 20, um, the commandment is that you may live long in the land because the, the immediate positivization here is to the Hebrews who are in Canaan, that they would live long in that land. But Paul now doesn't dispense with the promise of long life and essentially prosperity uh, as the as the general um, direction of providence with regards to obedience. And don't forget that there are always um, there will always be exceptions 
to a general pattern. But this is what scripture indicates. Here's the general pattern. You honor your father and mother. It will go well with you and you will live long in the earth. So Paul continues uh, the application of the promise of, of blessing and long life, but he doesn't restrict it to a, a strip of land in Palestine. That the land, he expands it just like the, the, the fullness of the gospel is expanded to the whole earth. So the promise is that if we honor our parents, um, the, uh, we can expect our gen the general experience of human beings will be that they will live long in the earth, uh, that God will bless them. Um, and one of the things he'll bless them with is uh, longevity um, for, for an honoring of parents. And it's only a radical secularization, a humanism that's crept into the church that we overlook this command and um, see Paul's important covenantal modification of it. It goes beyond the strip of land in Palestine now that we may live long in the earth. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Joel, do you have uh, anything to uh, to add to that to that comment? Yeah, I completely agree, and I'm just encouraged when I see, um, you know, I've. I've I've preached on uh, Psalm 127 mm. uh, that talks about children are a heritage from the Lord, um, a blessing from the Lord, an inheritance from the Lord. Uh, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Um, and, you know, that, that they, uh, the father would not be put to shame, uh, that his sons would be with him in the city gates. Um, and there's so, so much that comes out of that. But I remember using Ephesians chapter 6 as a subtext as I was preaching three weeks on a five-verse Psalm, Psalm 127. It's a, it's a very short psalm. Um, but I was talking about, you know, the blessing of having children, having many children, um, and having children in your youth. Uh, that it's not just that they replace their father in the city gates, um, but they're with him. Uh, meaning that that when the children come of age, particularly his sons, and they're of, uh, of ruling age, uh, fighting age, uh, that the father has not um, been sent off to pasture so to speak, that he has, he's not retired. He's still in the fray. And now he just has his sons with him. And it's almost like this imagery of the father sitting back and, uh, and looking to his sons with, you know, a twinkle in the eye, maybe a wink or a nod and saying, uh, take care of my light work, right? That the city gates were the place of uh, prestige and power and um, where the elders would sit and render judgments and decisions. Um, it's also, um, an entrance to the city and a defense for the city. So if there's any attack, um, the gates would be the first point of entry and the first uh, place of defense. And so it's as though, um, you know, the enemies of the father are coming um, and, and he no longer is really even required um, to make his own defense. Uh, he's so trust in his sons who are, are well-shaped and formed by this point um, chip off the old uh, block, so to speak, that uh, that he doesn't even have to get up. Uh, his sons can take care of his handiwork. And so all that being said, and that's not just for the record, uh, meaning that, you know, that we benefit by having m many children automatically. Um, Doug Wilson, I think, is uh, fond of saying that uh, Samuel would not have benefited by having five sons who took bribes rather than two. <laughs> so uh, we, we want to have quality children and not just quantity children. But I say all that to say that um, as I was preaching through that and looking at Ephesians 6 in relation to Exodus 20, um, I just, again, you know, continually in, in my congregation, my, my local pastoral ministry, I'm continually pushing back against um, uh, this you know, pietism, 
and continually pushing back against antinomianism, um, continually pushing back against the notion that um, that that it's only the gospel um, and and that it's only uh, eternal promises and oh. eternal inheritance and. And so I, you know, I said that if we look in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul utilizing the fifth commandment from the Decalogue, and he not only restates the commandment, but he also restates the promise. He assumes that the promise is just as good now under the New Covenant, um, that the promise is just as good as it was for Israel back then, and and that the commandment is just as sound and just as applicable as it was back then. And and I can hardly even imagine, I feel like most of our big Eva types today, if they were preaching Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, um, I can't imagine how long that sermon would need to be in order for them to present the sufficient caveats and disclaimers, um, hedging you know, their bets and, and protecting against um, any kind of, that might be construed as a works-based theology, um, you know, that well, now... They I, might be know, accused of say, being theonomists, Joel, but we're still... Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they, they you know, they, but they would, oh, well, you know, now there is a promise, but not really. And this promise is really, if there's any promise at all, it's a, it's certainly not a guarantee. And it's a, it's a spiritual promise, an eternal promise. Land here doesn't mean land. Um, you know, and they would have to do a similar thing with the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. Um, there are there are multiple places in the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament, Old Covenant notion of taking over the land. Uh, and people, you know, people often will, will cite, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, um, Israel in exile for 70 years in Babylon, you know, and seek the welfare of the city, right? Jeremiah 27, seek the welfare of the city for if the city prospers, you will prosper also. And so we're called to live like Mordecai. Um, we're called to live like... Um, you know, as 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 fugitives um, who are being winsome and careful and shrewd um, to benefit, you know, Babylon, benefit the enemies of God, benefit pagans, those who have taken us captive, um, knowing that, you know, if they benefit, their hearts won't necessarily turn in allegiance towards God, but if they materially benefit, then we'll get some of the trickle-down economics that come with that. Um, but uh, what about the book of Joshua? Like what? What if? What if the 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 more accurate analogy, uh, correlation for New Testament Christians living in the land, the physical, literal land that we live in today, this earth, this dirt? What if we're called to live like like the people of Israel in in the time of Joshua? Uh, what what if we're not called to live as fugitives in the land? But what if we're we're called to live in such a way that that we believe that our inheritance is that we overcome and take over the land? Um, that we're not just in exile, uh, we're not just um, in captivity, but we're actually conquering the land. And certainly we do this and in a very shrewd fashion and in a gracious fashion and a loving fashion. Um, but I do believe that that is the mandate of the New Christian, a uh, New Testament Christian. And I believe that one of the secrets to accomplishing this is given to us in Ephesians chapter 6 in relation to Exodus chapter 20 in the fifth commandment. One of the ways that we inherit the land and live a prosperous life in the land, one of the principles um, is by honoring our father and mother. David, I think of David and his view of the law of God in Psalm 119 and, and multiple other places. Uh, but, but David doesn't just begrudgingly submit to God's law, but he delights in God's law. And he sees it not only as that which is morally right, uh, but he sees thy law is good, 
holy and right. It's it's the morally right thing, but it's also, uh, and that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 6, children obey your parents and the Lord for it is right. But immediately on the heels of that, um, is it's not only morally right in the sight of God, but it is it is practically and tangibly um, productive and beneficial. It is the, the right thing is also the good thing. And those two sentiments are never opposed. That which is right in the sight of God, morally right by God's eternal and immutable standard, is also that which produces good uh, for the individual and for all their neighbors. Uh, one of the ways that we can love our neighbors, our first neighbors, uh, being our parents, but then love neighbors beyond that familial circle um, is by, um, by honoring our father and mother and raising and training our children to do the same. Um, cultures that, that honor their father and mother are more prosperous cultures. They're better cultures. Uh, cultures are not equal. Uh, the, the, you know, the, there is, in terms of ethnicity, no ethnicity is inherently superior or inferior to another. Um, but when we speak of culture, we, we don't embrace egalitarian principles with culture. Cultures are better or worse insofar, nothing inherent to the culture itself, but a culture is better or worse insofar as it has inherited and applied principles of the Bible. <laughs> so Christendom, uh, uh, cultures that are immersed in Christendom are, are better cultures and have better um, tenets of those cultures because they've been saturated in, in the Word of God um, for centuries and multiple generations. And so a culture that embraces the fifth commandment and this principle of honor for fathers and mothers is not only a culture that is pleasing to the Lord, Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents in everything for this is pleasing to God, or um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents and the Lord for it's morally right in the sight of God. But those same cultures that do that which pleases the Lord and that which is morally right according to his immutable standard are also the cultures that are tangibly and practically blessed, not only spiritually in, in the life to come eternally, but temporally here and now. You can expect, as a general principle, as Joe said earlier, to live a longer life, literally a longer life in the earth, and that things will go well with you. So it's both quantity and quality of life, a quantity of life, um, uh, longevity, but also quality that things will go well with you in this land that you're inheriting. And again, I don't think that the land moves from Exodus 20 to being the physical land of Canaan for, for Israel. And then in, in Ephesians 6, the land is now this heavenly land. Um, but I think if there's any movement at all, any transition from Exodus 20 to Ephesians 6, uh, I think the only transition is not from earth to heaven, uh, but from one geographic concentrated place on earth, namely the land of Canaan, to the whole earth now. Uh, the meek shall inherit the whole thing. Uh, all of it uh, belongs to the Christian and, um, and our children. So. Amen. Amen. Joel, um, we uh, we started this episode with a, a bit of a, a memoir from you about where where you had needed to uh, to repent of imbibing a lot of modern ideas as as relates to uh, this commandment. Can we can we move uh, or take a cue from that now and just without presuming to bind anybody's conscience? Where would you say, and I'll throw it open to both of you in turn, but uh, where would you say are some areas where we have in the, in the modern West, we have failed to honor our fathers and mothers? What, where, what do we uh, 
culturally need to be repenting of in this regard? The, the first thing that I think of, and I think Joe will have even better insights on this particular point, but the first thing that I think of that I'd be remiss as I've been praying about coming on this episode and what the Lord would have for me to share. The one thing that I haven't gotten to yet that I just, I, I feel like I, it would be a, um, a large failure if I missed it. And so I'm just going to get it in now because I think it, it, it generally deals with your question. And I think Joe can answer more specifically, but on a pastoral note, one of the things that I find with my congregants um, adults, not, not their, their children still in the home, young children, but adults who are saying, uh, you know, pastor, I see that this is a, a lifelong commandment to honor, um, our father and mother, even though I'm grown now and I've moved out of my father's house and I've started my own household, I'm still called to honor him. And one of the things that I hear again and again and again, is I hear, um, it expressed, uh, from Christians, well-meaning Christians and Christians who I think genuinely desire to honor their father and mother, they just express how difficult it is. And, and particularly, uh, the, the, the most common um, conversation that's had is it's really hard to honor my father and mother, Joel, because um, they have bad theology or they, they, um, they're, they're lukewarm in their convictions and their faith. Um, or, or, you know, they're the typical boomer. At least in America, I can't speak for, for you guys, but uh, that drive around with a bumper sticker that says I'm spending my children's inheritance, which is a wicked, a wicked thing. Um, and I do think that there's a sense in which millennials in particular feel um, as though their father and mother just uh, failed them. Um, that, you know, I mean, the guy who started Hobby Lobby, you know, is, is going to be giving all of it, you know, to charities um, is something that was recently uh, published, a piece of news. And instead of keeping the business and allowing it to pass down within his family to his children, uh, Jackie Chan, and I'm sure there's some strategic tax avoiding, you know, strategies uh, in, employed in this, but, you know, recently announced that he's going to be giving all of his money to charity, you know, and, and, and a trust, you know, uh, wrapping it up in, in some charity trust instead of giving it as an inheritance. And so I think um, there's this notion of that, that at least for Christians, and I think in the West and particularly America, that um, boomers, uh, they, they did a lot. They worked a lot of hours. Um, they clocked in a lot uh, in the workplace. They made relatively a lot of money. Economically speaking, if you look at the last 200 years of history, I mean, it was just um, that generation made a ton of money disproportionately um, with virtually every other generation in modern history in the West, um, at least in America. Uh, many of them are reluctant to pass the baton, as it were, to to their children's generation and creating space for them and opportunities. Um, Gen X feels completely like they were just the forgotten generation, um, skipped over. Uh, there's not always this, you know, uh, inheritance being given um, they were counseled by their parents, you know, my generation to go to college and then, and then, you know, and I don't think that our parents, I don't think it was malicious, but, uh, many, uh, people in my generation went to college and now they have 60, 80, a hundred thousand dollars of school debt and are no more, um, positioned to actually be employable than had they not gone to college, you know? And so there's a lot of pent up frustration, I think. Um, now the reality is I'm, I'm, suspicious. I've given multiple practical examples to say why it's particularly hard for my generation to honor their father and mother. But uh, I think of, you know, Peter in his, one of his epistles, it says, speaks of sin that is common to man. And I think that if I could, 
if I could speak to the saints of past generations in heaven, they would they would probably be able to cite you know fifteen examples of why uh, it was their generation. It was the hardest to honor their father and mother, and this other generation it was the hardest. And the reality is, I think that um, yeah, boomers. I think boomers failed in some unique ways, but every generation failed in some unique ways. Boomers didn't just, uh, they weren't created in a vacuum. Everybody is the product of their parents and their parents and their parents in a particular context. The greatest generation had some particular failures and beyond that, beyond that, beyond that. And so I think what I've come to realize is that um, it's just hard to honor your father and mother, period, no matter what generation you're in. And you can try to make a particular case to say why it's uniquely difficult for millennials or Gen Z or Gen X or whatever. But I think it's always been hard to honor your father and mother because the children have a front row seat, especially once they've grown and, and gained perspective. Uh, they have a unique, um, a unique front row seat into the failures of their parents. And so all that being said, um, one, one pastoral note that I would say for uh, just a, a wide broth of, of Christians seeking to honor their father and mother is the question I most often get as a pastor in relation to this topic is how do you honor a dishonorable father? How do you honor a dishonorable mother? The first thing that I would say is um, I don't think anything is quite that black and white. Um, I, I don't think that any father and mother uh, exclusively falls into a honor category, honorable category, or dishonorable category. Um, it's, it's usually a hodgepodge of things that are honorable and things that are dishonorable. But with those dishonorable things, I, I continually think of the illustration of the sons of Noah. What we can't do as Christians, as we seek to obey this command of honoring our father and mother, is we can't be given to lies, live not by lies. We cannot flatter, we cannot gossip, and we cannot slander. Gossip is, is saying it can include true statements about someone, but, but not in their presence, and in such a way that it's meant to tear them down. It's not productive. It's not for their welfare and good. So gossip can be true statements, but it's, it's outside of the presence of an individual with the intention of breaking the person down. Slander is making um, quantitatively false statements um, about someone, um, but flattery, um, but, but with the intent of tearing them down, false negative statements. Flattery, likewise, is similar to slander in the sense that it can be like gossip outside of their presence, um, but often flattery is actually in the person's presence. Out of gossip, slander, and flattery, flattery is most commonly to the person's face. Um, and it's also false statements like slander, except it's unique in the sense that it's um, positive statements saying very nice things, very, very positive things, but that are false things to the person's face in order to um, position yourself better, in order to gain their graces. It's manipulation. It's trying to um, to gain favor with someone. And and so in our quest to honor our father and mother, we cannot be given to slander. We cannot be given to gossip. And, and we also cannot be given to flattery. And the sons of Noah, what, what we don't see the two righteous sons doing is they don't say... Um, they don't go around the rest of their lives saying, our father is such an honorable man that he's never been drunk. Our father is such an honorable man that he's never uh, passed out naked in his tent. Um, they, they, don't, they don't say positive statements that are untrue. Um, but what I've realized is this, uh, we don't get to choose what is true and what is false about our father and mother, but we get to choose what to emphasize. We get to choose the headline. We get to choose what's going to be a footnote in the story that we tell about our fathers and mothers and what's going to be the headline of the story, what, what we're going to sh shine the spotlight on. And we have that choice as, as grown children 
um, with a unique perspective, front row seat in our, our, our father and mother's lives, seeing their successes, seeing their failures that, that many other people did not see. Um, we get to choose not what's true, but we do get to choose what to share and what to emphasize, what, what gets the headline of the story. And, um, and we live in a generation, I think, currently um, that is choosing to emphasize uh, the failures. We live in a deconstructing generation. We live in the critical race theory, you know, critical theory beyond just race, but critical legal theory, qu critical queer theory. It's, it's a jackhammer. It's a deconstructive tool. What it does is it takes something that sure, everything has flaws, nothing's perfect, but it takes something that's generally good and, and, and it emphasizes its weaknesses and failures, but only for the purpose of deconstructing and tearing it down with no intention of building something better in its place. It, it lies and says, well, we have this grand utopia, this, this better substitute that, that will replace, um, but it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. All it's doing is it's taking things that are generally good imperfect as they as they may be but generally good and and emphasizing highlighting putting the magnifying glass over all of their their faults and fractures and making the headline of the story america is bad our civil fathers the headline of the story uh, the church is abusive and covers up you know this and that like right now what's happening with uh, dr john macarthur you know and and makes that the headline of the story or um or uh, uh, families are bad and and, and patriarchal you know um, um, immediate families and households are bad. It makes that the headline of the story. And so I think, I think that that is just um, an epidemic in our culture today and, and with my generation, younger generations today, is to, um, to deconstruct, to take uh, the faults um, of, of systems and, and families and all these things and make that the headline of the story. And those things may be true. They may be true, um, but but we get to choose. We don't get to choose what's true or false, but we do get to choose what to emphasize. I think a, a large lion's share of what it means to honor thy father and mother is not, it's not slander. It's also not flattery. It's not gossip. Um, but it's saying like the, the righteous sons of Noah, it's covering the failures and emphasizing the successes. And each of us have, have something about our mother and father that's good, that, that we can say that's going to get the headline. Joel, I really appreciate that. That's uh, that's a timely word, and I've, uh, I, as a a guy of a younger generation, I feel that conviction as well. I recognize that in uh, myself and my peers. I think you're uh, you're right on there with the with your own counsel, Joe. Uh, s same question, uh, I guess, which was, where where are some areas where we need to repent of going along with culture with regards to the fifth commandment? Mm -hmm. Well, first, I think it, it's important to reiterate uh, something that Joel said earlier, and that is that as Christians, we need to be reminded as we ask and answer that question, that uh, the law of God is described in Scripture as, as we heard, right and good. And we have... Uh, the 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 metaphors of, of it, it's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb it's uh it's more precious than gold and silver um it is uh it's something that is going to be for our real blessing in this life um with our families and our communities now in the here and now these are not merely eternal blessings uh, with some reference to the 
consummation. These are about our temporal life now. That's the goodness and the blessing of God's law. So that when we obey it, God is not the cosmic killjoy. When we obey God's law in the honoring of our parents as families, as a society, as a culture, the result is very real, very concrete blessing. And remember that Jesus really in, in the Great Commission tells us that because he says all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Uh, it, the whole of the earth is mine. Therefore, go and disciple the nations and teach them everything I have commanded you. Um, and that's for the blessing of the nations. So when we think about this and we think about the condition of our culture and what it's rejected, and what it's set aside, perhaps the place I would start very quickly is um, uh, the place where, where Joel left off there related to what he was saying about um, critical theory and the way that uh, what we would call sort of uh, wokeism, wokery, jiggery wokery, as I like to call it, uh, <laughs> is inflicting our culture, is that um, one of the areas we see this commandment despised is in the disrespect that our culture has for the elderly. Mm. Uh, we idealize youth. Um, we we idealize uh, youth culture. Um, we we almost want to um, make adolescence a sort of semi permanent state. I mean, it used to be um, something that would you know attract ridicule for 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 a sixty or seventy year old man to be dressed in the fashions of a European teenager. Um, and see him behaving like one, thinking he was hip and trendy. Um, but that is the way in which we have almost positions our society. We are afraid, we are terrified of age, of aging. You look at the idealizing of uh, in, in our culture today, uh, among look at celebrity culture as an example, but it's spread well beyond celebrity culture because they're the models, as it were the way we want to Botox and lift and press and suck and goodness knows what else, manipulate our own bodies to appear as though they are young when in fact they are not. And yet scripture says, you shall rise before the gray headed or the hoary head, the King James would say. So there was an inherent respect for in the Bible for the elderly, because this is, an, this is the point at which you have seen more of life. You've gained, uh, it, uh, the godly person, greater maturity, wisdom, understanding. Um, and our culture, when it was more Christian, used to have a respect for the elderly. Today, the elderly are increasingly despised, out of sight, out of mind. Um, and that's related to the second thing I wanted to talk about, which was the way in which um, we have ceased to be concerned with the care for our parents. As a culture, we no longer want to care for our parents. We no longer want that responsibility. Out of sight, out of mind, put the elderly away in an institution where they're no longer a bother to us. Euthanize them, as Canada would, would, would like to do, as quickly as possible. Get rid of the elderly. Um, they are an inconvenience Yet, uh, of course, it was um, at least uh, some um, North American tribes uh, like the um, the uh, the indigenous. I'm not sure we're even allowed to call them Eskimos anymore. Are we, Ryan? Is it um, Inuit? 
Um, I'm not some sure pagan the, uh, the guidebooks out being in its 17th revision right now. <laughs> <laughs> goodness knows, goodness knows what we're supposed to say now. But some pagan cultures exposed their elderly, sent them away uh, to, to die of starvation and exposure. The Bible uh, says no. Um, the elderly, our parents, are to be honored. Now think about this for a moment. When the Lord Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's the yeah. eldest son. One of the first things he uh, is concerned to do at that moment of death, he's got the weight of the world literally on his shoulders. He's bearing the weight of the sins of the world. And he's concerned to say to his cousin, John, John, mm. your mother, mother, mm. Mary, your son. In other words, uh, John is responsible for your care. And from that day, the scripture says, John took Mary into his home. So there is an honoring of the family. There's an honoring of our parents. And scripture um, gives us that command. I was, I was really encouraged to hear Joel refer to one of his reasons for his move from California to Texas, that it was uh, concerned care for and involvement in the life of his parents. Um, and many of the things he said today have been, have been challenging and convicting, and they should feel convicting uh, for us as we... Um, you know, submit ourselves to to, to the word of God. Uh, Abraham um, lived in the home of Isaac. Isaac lived in the home of Jacob. Jacob lived under the care of Joseph. Now, I'm not saying that um, uh, uh, that uh, we all have to take um, our parents into our own home. We may not be in a position to do that. But I do think that um, as a general pattern, the eldest godly son, the eldest mm -hmm. godly child uh, with means is obligated to take responsibility as Jesus modeled for us at the cross and as God's law requires. And, um, and, I, that's, I, and that's why, Joe, just to interject for a moment, that's part of the reason why the eldest son would get a double portion of inheritance is, is because... He had more responsibilities. It's not just because the father favored him, but it it was because you're going to receive more blessing. Blessing always corresponds with, with responsibility. God teams these things up together, and you're going to receive more blessing because he had more responsibilities, not only to care for his own household, but he had unique responsibility to uh, to give some return, which is good and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. I think of, you know, first Timothy five children should uh, seek to give some return to their parents, right? With widows, do not let the church be burdened. If she has grown sons, let them give some return to their parents, which is good and pleasing to the Lord. And so the eldest son would bear that, that chief responsibility to care for his parents. And that, that seems completely absent that notion in our culture today. Absolutely. That, that's, that's a great point. And that, that is precisely why the, the eldest godly child received a, du a double portion. We do see, of course, at times where an ungodly child is set aside. We see frequently in the Old Testament there where the younger son receives the blessing and then receives the responsibility with it. And the responsibility is part of the blessing. I've had the privilege of, for a number of years now, taking my parents into uh, my own home Um uh, because they they don't have the means to um, support themselves after many many years as missionaries overseas, and um, the blessing to my children and to my family through that has been immense. It doesn't mean that every moment of every day isn't without its um, moments of challenge, 
um, because that's what it means to be human. But the but the blessing has been immense, and so I would say that 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 aspect, respect for elderly, care for parents, um, we have abdicated that in our society, and we've handed it over to the state, and the result has been the destruction of the family, and uh, and not an appropriate care for our parents. I mean, think about what happened in the last few years when uh, a virus struck. Um, many of our parents who were uh, of our culture uh, in these care homes were left on the floor to die. Hmm. Um, you, you, we do not give to the state the responsibilities that are given to, to the family. And Jesus, as I said in Mark 7, is very, very clear about this. He accused the Pharisees of making void, of nullifying God's law by their tradition in saying, well, you know, I've, I've given my gifts to the temple. I don't need to do anything for my parents. And he says, you, you make void the law by your tradition. And so I think if we look at those two, just those two things, honor and respect for the elderly, and the way we see that utterly collapsing, and we, we, we'd rather see them out of sight, out of mind, if not dead. Um, we don't want to learn from the elderly. We don't want to res respect the aged. And we've idealized youth, which the Bible doesn't do. Um, and uh, we need to think about that even in the life of the church and, and, and in, our, in our families. And then caring for our parents, I think, which is absolutely critical to a stable society, to a God-honoring society, and so to a society that's concerned, concerned with in, inheritance, blessing, um, and, um, and passing on the inheritance. One of the reasons why our culture is in free fall is that we no longer know who we are. Um, because that has not been passed on, because the uh, multi-generational family life has been almost completely destroyed. Um, and uh, we desperately need to recover it if our society is going to survive. No, no society survives the destruction of the family. It's part of God's judgment on our apostasy that we are where we are. But I would say those would be two, two critical and vital issues where we've abdicated responsibility and we've also handed the burden over to the the state um, who not only do a poor job of it, but they end up destroying the family in the process and claim to be the elder brother and seize all the inheritance for themselves. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. We've handed the burden over to the state. And so by doing, uh, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Uh, we've handed over the burden and God attaches the blessing to the burden. Um, and so like the, you know, the death tax, the estate tax, you know, all these kinds of things that we're, Part of the reason we're, you know, we're, we're groaning underneath the tyranny of the state. Well, what made the state so powerful? What caused it to, to, to grow to such an oversized, you know, monster, tyrant that, that it's become? Like, where did it get all this power? Well, part of it is it got a lot of money. Where did it get that money, that, that blessing, that, that tangible, you know, physical blessing? Um, because, because we abdicated the burden. So we said, we don't want the burden of caring for our father and mother. We don't want the burden for caring for our children. We don't want the burden of educating our children. We don't. And the state, <laughs> with, with, with wicked and sinister intentions, um, but, but nonetheless, God will not be mocked. There are certain principles baked into the world that God has made. The state said, we'll take these burdens. And lo and behold, they've also taken the blessing. We'll take care of the elderly. Now, they don't take care of them well. That in in many cases in Canada, the, the way they take care of the elderly is like I'll take care of that, you know, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll I'll yeah. you know euthanize them, but we'll take care of the elderly. 
We'll give your children an education uh, with the welfare system. We'll take care of your wife. We'll take care of this. We'll take care of that. And and lo and behold, uh, what comes with their willingness to take the burden, even though they they botch the job of actually meeting the burden, uh, but what what they 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 do a um, a half a halfway job, and, and and that's being very charitable. But uh, uh, they do half the job of meeting the burden, but they get the whole blessing in terms of the the, the literal financial uh, benefit. So they're getting all of the inheritance that the eldest son would get goes to goes to the state. And then they they do um, a lousy job of of the burden, but just the willingness. I you know it's been said before that um, that authority um, authority flocks, you know, or or it it just it it by default it um it it orients to those who are willing to take responsibility. That that when a man says, you know what, I, I'll I'll take care of that. You know what, that that maybe even is outside my jurisdiction, but nobody's picking up that ball. I'll, I'll pick that up. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll do this and I'll do it well and I'll do and and lo and behold, I, I've noticed in my own life at 36 years old now, you know, still relatively young, but as I've just I've been willing to take responsibility, as I've seen certain deficiencies, instead of just complaining about it, saying, "I wish more that you know people in the evangelical church would 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 address this," I wish there was more teaching on this, and and then saying, "You know what, I I." I don't think I'm even the best man for the job. I don't have some of the credentials that I wish I had, but I'm going to hit the books. I'm going to, I'm going to study as, as best I can, knowing that I'll, I'll still be incomplete in many ways. Um, but, but I'm going to look to other guys like, like you, Dr. Boot, and like Doug Wilson, and like Jeff Durbin, and like James White. You know, and I'm going to, as much as I can, staff my weaknesses, surround myself by these guys, learn from But I'm just going to do it. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a ministry. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to, um, I'm going to have four kids, and Lord willing, have another. And, and I'm going to... And, and as I've just been willing to take these res, uh, duties, these responsibilities, because I've seen the lack and the gaping holes in, in society and in the church at large, um, taking the willingness to take these responsibilities, all of a sudden, I, I, I can't tell you, it's like clockwork, but um, authority comes with it. Uh, that, that all of a sudden people, uh, I, I have certain people asking my opinion who never used to care what I thought. Um, I have people sending in donations that, that I, I never had before. I have more resources just in the last two years of my life as I've taken on certain responsibilities and just been willing to take the burden, the blessing comes. And, and we have essentially, as a culture, and the church particularly, and households, those two spheres of the home and the church have basically said, um, we don't want the burden, the, the duty that God gives to us, His law, uh, and we forfeited the blessing. And now that third sphere is is... 10 times the size of the other two. And, and we're so quick to say it's because of their tyranny. They took it from us. Uh, in many ways, we gave it to them. We gave the burden, not realizing that God will not be mocked um, and, that, and that blessing follows burden. And we gave them the burden and, and they're half doing the burden, but getting the whole blessing and then using that blessing and all those resources to turn their sights and the gun further. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And the way to break it is not to demand the blessing that's ours. The way to break it, the first step is uh, to take back the burden that's mm -hmm. ours. Yeah. And with it, the authority, which is a key point. Joel, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we've taken a goodish amount of it. Uh, for those who are interested in uh, in checking up with you, we might have some listeners who aren't uh, aren't familiar with uh, with you and your work. Uh, where can they go and uh, and learn more? Right Response Ministries. Um, thanks again, you guys, for having me on the show. It's been an honor. But Right Response Ministries is the name of 
uh, the ministry outside of my local church, Covenant Bible Church, if they happen to be in Central Texas, they, they may be able to come. We're in Georgetown, Texas, Williamson County, but the ministry that's um, that's digital and and remote is Right Response Ministries. They can go to rightresponseministries.com. Uh, they can also, we have a free app that they could download and follow all of our content. Uh, but most people, it seems, you know, you can you can find us and you subscribe in, in any podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, but it seems like most people tend to follow us and find us on YouTube. So Right Response Ministries, uh, YouTube, um, our, our three main you know, bread and butter with the ministry is uh, my sermon uh, ministry, preaching ministry from the Lord's Day at Covenant Bible Church. Every week, you'll find a full-length sermon. Uh, and then that's on Sunday. Every every Monday, you'll find a live Q&A that I do for about an hour. And then every Tuesday, that's our flagship show called Theology Applied. That's the interview format show, like what you guys are doing right now, where we've had notable guests such as Dr. Boot and Doug Wilson and James White and Jeff Durbin and Samuel Say and um, a host of others, uh, Meg Basham with the, the Daily Wire and uh, lots of different individuals. So um, yeah, they can follow us anywhere they like, podcast, website, app, um, but people, for whatever reason, they seem to like YouTube. Thanks very much, Joel. Really appreciate you being here. I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to go and uh, buy your mother some flowers this week. Uh, <laughs> Joel, uh, Joe, Dr. Boot, thanks for uh, being on the show. For everyone who's, who's listening, we remind you as ever that from him and through him and to him, that's Jesus Christ, are all things. May he alone be glorified, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week. Can I be frank with you for just a second, right here at the end? Look, some of you guys, you're financially supporting this ministry, and from the bottom of my heart, I say thank you. I cannot thank you enough. However, some of you, you just you can't afford it. In fact, some of you, you shouldn't afford it. Let's be honest. I mean, we're living in Joe Biden's ridiculous economy. Our nation and our totalitarian political elites lost their minds over the last three years due to COVID. We have written checks that we simply cannot cash. It doesn't matter if people change the definition of a recession. We are living in a recession right now regardless. Some of you are struggling to afford a carton of eggs at the grocery store. You cannot support financially this ministry at this time, nor should you. But you could still help us tremendously. I am asking you, please, if you're willing to do so, Take one minute of your time. Leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, whatever that might be. This is the way the system works. We want to be innocent as doves, but shrewd as vipers. We need to be strategic. You leave us a five-star review, and our podcast shows up for more people. And the Word of God and courageous theology applied in practical ways to every realm of life gets out there. Help us get it out there. Thanks for tuning in.